1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 21. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. We'll start reading. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. I believe other versions say this is how God demonstrated his love towards us. This is how God shows it. He sent his one and only son into the world. And notice the next phrase. That we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son As an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's so much here to unpack. And really, this would be a month of sermons. John tells us that we're to love one another. And if someone doesn't love, if someone doesn't love, they really don't know God. If someone doesn't love, if you don't love, you really don't know God because God is love. Okay. He also says that God demonstrated or God showed his love for us, for mankind. By sending his son into the world so that we might live through him. Oftentimes we think about, well, he sent his son in the world to die on the cross. Yes, that's absolutely 100% true. But he sent his son into the world so that you and I might be able to live life through him. What's the Bible say? It says, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, what do we live it by? By faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It's not just about Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus came into the world so that his life might be lived through you. Here on this earth, he left the glories and the splendors of heaven so that he may live and you might live your life through him. And he says, this is love, not that we love God. Notice what he says. We think it's love. Well, yeah, God, I love you. I obey you. Now, this is what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price. He was that ultimate sacrifice to atone for your sins and mine. God loves us, and he goes on to say in there, in essence, that I'm just trying to hit a couple of main points, that God loves us, and because of that, because we've experienced his love, you know, sometimes it's hard to give something that you've never received. You know, sometimes you have people who, maybe they grew up in a home who they never felt love, and their greatest goal in life was, I'm not going to be like that. And the crazy thing is, a lot of times, they become just like that. I'm never going to be like him. I'm never going to be like her. And somehow, the thing that they wanted to give the most, the thing that they felt that they didn't have, 
Well, they really didn't have it. And so they say, I'm never going to be like that. And so because we've experienced the love of God, it doesn't make us better than anybody else. But because we've experienced his love, it equips us to give it to somebody else. Because we've been forgiven, we know how good it feels. Because we've been left off the hook on some things. Because we've received grace. Because we've received those things, it enables us to pass those things on to others. And it says that God's love is made complete in us. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. His love accomplishes its purpose. It accomplishes its purpose as we love one another. Now, let's move on down in verse 13. And it says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. You realize that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The down payment. He sealed your heart. Can I tell you how you know that you're different? Some of you, the devil tells you that you've not changed, nothing's happened in your life. And you feel that struggle with sin. You feel that struggle with doing the will of God. And it frustrates you sometimes because you say, God, I want to serve you. I want to do what you want, but I struggle. That's a very sign that you belong to God. Just that in itself. Many times the enemy will say to you, no, you're not living up. The fact that you desire to do the will of God the fact that you, you say, God, I struggle forgiving. The fact that you struggle forgiving shows to me that you're a child of God. Because you, before you didn't care about forgiving. Because you struggle to live a holy life shows me that you have been changed because God's spirit has changed your heart. So do not lose heart in the middle of your battle. Okay? Don't lose heart in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the journey, because sometimes you get weary with it. Don't lose heart because the very struggle shows and is evidence that the seal of the Holy Spirit has been placed upon your life. Now he says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone, if anyone, acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We rely upon the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete other versions say about his love being perfect. This this idea of completion. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If you underline things in your Bible, I want to encourage you to underline that. But perfect love, love that has been made complete, love that has accomplished its purpose, fulfilled its purpose, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command... 
anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. Now, there's a lot, as I said, there's a lot that we could focus on here. We could talk about the importance of us loving one another and all of those things. But today I want to talk to you about an eviction notice. I hope that you were not in a desperate situation where you received one. If you've received one, you may take this from a different perspective. You may not, well, wait a minute, I know how horrible that is. And I'm sure being on the receiving end of one would be very troubling. But I can also sympathize with the property owner who has someone on his property that no longer belongs there. Perhaps they're just a squatter. Maybe they're not paying their bill or or taking good care of his investment. So eventually he comes to the point where he says, hey, you got to go. You just have to go. You can no longer stay here. Nowadays, the renters have all kinds of legal rights. And someone who doesn't pay their rent cannot pay their rent and drag the process out for months and months and months and months and can literally bankrupt an investor if he's just getting started. If that person doesn't pay their rent, how can the property owner, how can he pay his mortgage? It just kind of reminds me, back in Bedford, I think things were different. It's funny sometimes, like back in Bedford, I think they would just literally throw you out back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, they come knocking on the door. Hey, uh, your rent's late, and if you don't, you know, I need it this week. And eventually they just, like, come over with a pickup. Hey, I don't know where you're going, but you're out of here. It's time to leave. When we talk about an eviction notice, the perfect love of God, the love of God that has been made complete, that has accomplished a purpose in your life, comes to things like fear and says, I don't know why, how you think you belong in this man or woman's life. But perfect love drives out fear. That's what the Bible says. The perfect love. The love of God that's been made complete in our heart. And it has this to do with this idea of judgment. You see, John wants the believers to have confidence on the day of judgment. Don't be mistaken, my friend. There's going to be a day of judgment. When we'll all give an account of ourselves before God. There's going to be that day. God wants you and John wants the people to have confidence when they stand before God. You ever notice this? That whenever people need God the most, a lot of times they want to stay away. You ever notice that? I can tell sometimes. And people sometimes get offended. Don't get offended. If you get offended, I'm sorry. But you won't listen if you get offended. I'll see people who, you know, they're starting to go down the wrong way. And what do they do? They want to stay away from God. They don't want to hear the messages. They're doing good. They're doing great. They want to be at prayer meeting. They want to be on Wednesday night. They want to stop by and see me and, and, you know, all of these things and call me on the phone, text and email and all these things. And you'll notice this, that when someone starts going the wrong way, they want to stay away from God's presence. When they need to be there the most. When they need his strength and his power the most in their lives, they want to stay away from him. I think a lot of it has to do with fear. Fear that he'll reject me. Fear that he'll condemn me. Fear that he'll accuse me. Fear that we're not good enough to go into his presence. But not only on the day of judgment... Every time that you and I draw near to the Lord, God wants us to come into his presence 
with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter his courts with praise. The Bible says we're to come what way into the presence of the Lord? Come what? Boldly. God wants us to come boldly. That means with confidence. If you're insecure, it's hard to be bold. You may be boisterous, but it's hard to really be bold. You may be loud, but it's hard to be bold. And so he wants us to come boldly into his presence. And John understood the importance of the people who he was writing to, the churches he was writing to, of having this understanding of the love of God and having the love of God complete its work in their lives and so that the love of God cast out fear. So wait a minute. What's the Bible say? If God's for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And he goes on to say, how will he not give us, in essence, whatever else we need? If he gave us his son, won't he give us what we need to complete the work that he started in our lives? And so what John is saying to the church here and to the churches is this. Allow God's love to do its work in your heart. When it's complete, it's going to serve an eviction notice on fear. Hey, fear, you don't belong here anymore. Get out. Get out. I don't know who you think you are. In our society today, everything's all politically correct. And everybody has all of their rights. There's a certain place where my space starts and your space ends. And your space starts and my space ends. And it's okay to say to somebody, hey, get out. You don't belong in this space. I'm not letting you do this. I don't know who you think you are. I don't know why you think it's your right to do this. There's certain rights that you may think you have a right, but you don't have a right to this little space right here. This is my space. And what God says is that you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. And so things like fear have to be expelled. You kick it out. Did you see recently in the local papers, they expelled a student and then a judge came here in Lancaster County. They had expelled a student for acting up and then a judge ruled that the kid can't be expelled. That's a bunch of baloney. Kick the kid out. You know what I mean? You either listen or you get out. Does anybody grow up like that? Am I the only one who grew up like that? Okay, you either do what's right or you get out. I'm telling you, in my house, I tell the kids, I love you, you can stay here as long as you want. I want you to be here. But you're in my house, you're going to follow my rules. It's just as simple as that. And if you don't like it, you can go. I'll love you, I'll help you. I'd rather you leave whenever it's a good, you know, launching thing. I don't want to just throw you out, but I'm just telling you, I will. I believe that what God wants for us, and we're not throwing our kids out, and we love our kids, but I believe what God wants for us is that he wants us to say no to things like fear. Perfect love evicts fear. It evicts it. It says, hey, you don't have a legal right. You no longer, some of you are debating whether or not fear should be in your heart. Some of you are debating whether or not doubt should be in your life, whether or not condemnation should be in your life. But when you understand the love of God for you, it kicks those things out and it says, you don't have a legal standing here any longer. I want to go back to verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. We know it in our head and we trust it and depend upon it in our hearts on the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Remember the purpose. The purpose of God sending his son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son not just to die on a cross. We might live through him. And so he goes on to say, and so we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. I have good news for you. When you place your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, who died upon the cross for your sins, you realize that all the punishment your sins deserved was placed upon Him. All the judgment that your sins deserved was placed upon Him. God dealt with sin viciously. Sometimes people want to have God be some weak thing. No, there's times when God's vicious. Vicious, crazy. God dealt with sin viciously, but he didn't do it to you. He didn't hold back his wrath or judgment on sin. This is good news. He placed all of his wrath and all of his judgment upon Jesus. And he did that out of his love for you. When you trust in what Jesus did as being sufficient, when you trust in what Jesus did, that, and in your heart you say, it's enough. That Jesus' death upon the cross was the atoning sacrifice for my sin. Then we start to realize the love that God has for us. When his love is made complete or when it has accomplished what it's supposed to do, it produces confidence to be able to stand before the Lord and not be afraid. God, I can come before you because I know that you're for me. You're not against me. Yeah, God, I know you hate sin. I know that you judge sin. But when I put my faith in what Jesus did, and I put my trust in him, and I rely upon that, not on my works, not on my own abilities, but when I rely upon the blood of Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sin, I can come boldly into your throne and make my petitions known. John says, in this world, we're like Jesus. You ever notice your kids when they're asleep? When they're little and kind of ornery, and they're asleep, and you're oh, oh, you just want to lay there and hold them, hug them, you know what I mean? Especially when they're little, you know what I'm saying? They're asleep, and you're like, oh, they're so cute, they're so, oh, they're just like Jesus. And when they wake up, man, they're just, they're just like their dad, they're just like their mom. John says, in this world, you are like Jesus. You may say, I may be like Jesus part of the time. When I'm in prayer... During worship, I'm like Jesus, but boy, get me in the traffic. Or when I, and you can fill in the blank, you know the time that I'm talking about. Well, the scripture teaches us that when we put our faith in what Jesus did as being enough, our faith is credited as righteousness. Oh, that's right. Thank the Lord. He credits Jesus's righteousness to our account when we put our faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Then verse 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one whose fears is not made perfect in love. And as I said, it's this idea of being complete. Sometimes we think of being perfect That everything has to go exactly the way that I want. It was like really good, but it wasn't perfect. Things have gone really, really good. 
but it wasn't perfect, so God must be mad. No, his love is made perfect. It's made complete in our lives when things like fear and doubt and unbelief are driven out. Why? Because I know he loves me. I have a realization of how deep his love is for us. Do any of you have issues? Are you married to or related to someone who has issues? Do any of your kids have issues? Are you sitting in front of or behind someone who has issues? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you're in good company. If you have issues, you're in good company. A lot of times people think if they have issues, that somehow that disqualifies them for God's best in their lives, for God using them, for God accomplishing his purposes. As I was studying, I come up on this list of some people who had issues. Noah had a problem with drinking. Abraham was a coward and a liar. He lied and put his wife at risk to save his own skin. Isaac and Rebekah were very dysfunctional parents. Jacob was a cheater and a scoundrel. Aaron was a religious leader who caved into peer pressure. Miriam had a problem with jealousy, particularly in relation to her little brother Moses. And she had an issue with prejudice towards his Cushite wife. Moses seemed like a great guy unless you got him mad, and then he would kill you. Naomi, she was bitter. Samson had a problem with lust in women. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Thomas struggled with doubt and unbelief. Peter had a problem with his mouth cursing. And he failed his friend on the day that he needed him the most. Timothy struggled with fears and insecurities. Paul was abusive. He was a killer. And some would say that he was really difficult to work with. He'd have been a tough boss. He didn't have a lot of patience with people. The Bible is full of people whom God chose to use. I want you to hear me. God chose to use them. He was not surprised by their flaws. Today, we view them as heroes of the faith. What if I told you someday people are going to remember you as a hero of the faith? What if I told you someday in generations to come, people are going to look back on you and they're going to testify of how you influenced their lives and the impression and the way that you motivated them to follow God. We're not making excuses for their flaws or ours. But I am telling you today that if God can use them in spite of their inadequacies, that he isn't finished with you yet. Friends, he has a plan for you. He has a work for you to do. And you've not been disqualified. Listen to Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus. So we see that John wanted them to be able to grasp the love of God. And he wanted God's love to be made complete. Because when his love was made complete, it's going to evict those things. When a person is controlled by fear, it holds them back. When a person is controlled by doubt and unbelief and these other things, it stymies what God wants to do in and through their lives. Listen to Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus. And and over the years, I know you've heard me read this many times. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
And I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants them to be strengthened in their inner being by his spirit. For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith, hope, and love. Okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's through trusting in him. Not trusting in yourself, through trusting in Jesus. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to do what? To cast out demons? To heal the sick? To raise the dead? Is that why he wants it? Paul's prayer for the church was that these people would know that they would be able to simply grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How vast, how amazing is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he goes on to this next verse that many of us quote. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think for God, though, to be able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, I think he wants us to be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. For God to be able to accomplish his work in your life and to be able to do inside what he wants to do, he has to first cast out things like fear. So the next time you mess up, instead of running away from God, the next time that you're struggling, instead of staying away from him, that you draw near to him. I preached a message a few weeks ago. I'm just telling you, it was really, really good. We talked about that we draw near to God and stop resisting. That was really the whole thing. What do I do? Just keep pressing into God. Keep drawing near to him. Like that woman with the issue of blood. She kept pressing through the crowd. And then whenever he speaks to you, you just yield to him. So just keep drawing near. Pastor, I don't know what to do. I got situations that are beyond my control. Well, you just keep drawing near to God and just keep yielding to him and submitting to him. And he will do a work inside of you that will far surpass anything you could possibly imagine. Friends, he can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power. But here's the thing. Things like fear keep us out of his presence. Things like doubt, things like unbelief. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to separate you from the one who loves you so much. He wants to keep you away from his presence. We're serving eviction notice today. In your life, in mine, we're going to look at some things like fear. You don't belong here. Why? Because God's love is being made perfect in my life. Sometimes it's this revelation of how much he loves us. Wait a minute. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be condemned. I don't have to be accused. Because God loves me. He's for me, not against me. He didn't withhold his son. 
So how are we hold back any good thing? Would you stand with me? I want to just pray over you. I want to pray this for you. I'd like you to put your hand on somebody beside you. Get someone close to you there. If there's someone in front of you, reach up. And if you, you might have to touch two people, it's okay. Would you just pray? I want you to just take a moment and just pray that every bit of fear, that every bit of unbelief and every bit of doubt would be driven out of that person's life and cast out of their life because of God's love. And would you just take 30 seconds and pray that God's love for them would be revealed to their heart. Just go ahead and do that. Just for the person next to you. Put your hand on your own heart. I'd like you just to take maybe 30 seconds and ask God to give you a revelation of His love and His pleasure. And you ask Him just to show you how much He loves you and how important you are to it. Father, as my friends have their hand over their heart, representing the core of their being, I ask that you would shake them by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would overwhelm them by the grace and the mercy and the love that God has for them. Lord, I pray that you would show them that this is how you demonstrated your love, that you sent your son so that we can live our lives through him. And so, Father, I pray that as they open their hearts and as they choose to believe the word of God over their emotions, over what their soul says, over what they've heard other people say, over what the doubts bombard their mind, I pray that you would cause them to believe in the love that you have for them. And as you do that, Lord, as they lay their hands on their chest, I serve eviction notice on fear and doubt and unbelief. You have no place in their lives any longer. Lord, they can come boldly into the throne of God and instead of running away from you or hiding from you, they can draw near to you with full assurance that you love them and that your love is working and accomplishing its purposes in their lives so that when they stand before you, they don't have to worry about judgment. They don't have to worry about condemnation because it was all placed on Jesus. And so now, Lord, I can serve you and love you freely because of your grace and of your mercy. Bless them, I pray. I pray, Lord, that something would change in the spirit that instead of running, that they would run to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And we'll thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.